I can't really be an expert in all those areas. And I think sometimes I think that I don't need this. I don't need any help. And I do, you know, I definitely need advice along the way. So more advice, the better and getting the right key facts and figures in front of front of me as far as the homework's very important. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. Guys, leave me a review. Love reading them on air and appreciate your feedback. But today, I'm sitting here this afternoon with Mark Stansberry, chairman of the GTD Group. How's it going, Mark? It's going great. Thank you, Paige. And it's an honor to be with you. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Paige, I got started really back when I was around 13 years old. I was not in the oil and gas business at the time, but my interest started peaking about that time because I was born and raised in Elk City, Oklahoma. And about a mile south of Elk City, there was a well called the Green Well. It was being drilled by GHK. And that company came in with a 24,000-foot test that was a successful attempt of natural gas. And so at that point in time, I was a member of an organization called Key Club, just getting initiated to that. And they wanted to pass out decals around town and, and call it the natural gas capital of the world. And so I went around putting decals all over, you know, everything I could legally. And, <laughs> and it wound up that I really didn't know much about natural gas. I was not in that industry, but I thought, wow, Elk City is the natural gas capital of the world. It's a pretty big deal. And so I paid attention to that. And then a, a few years later, I had a mentor. His name was Cooper West. And he was in the oil and gas industry and very successful in Western Oklahoma and also in real estate and other things. But he was a mentor to me. And I said, you know, I've been reading about internships and I came from, you know, modest background and, and I said, you know, I need some support that way. Do you have anybody in DC, Washington, DC, that I could be an intern and work for? And he said, you know, a good friend of mine is a U.S. Senator Dewey F. Bartlett. And okay. so he, he recommended that I get in contact with Senator Bartlett and he actually made a call for me. And so it wound up that I became, uh, long story short, became an intern, a staffer, for U.S. Senator Dewey Bartlett for 75 and 76, both years, on, and then on the staff. Well, he had different issues that would come up, and part of that was on natural gas and other issues. But the one thing he had was a speech he was going to present in 1975 in Oslo, Norway, to OPEC. Well, again, I didn't know much about oil and gas, really, and I sure didn't know much about OPEC, but I did some research, and there was about four or five of us that did some research for his speech that he was going to present. And so I became more and more involved that way. And so I went back to Cooper after I graduated from college. I'm trying to move forward fast. <laughs> and I wound up talking to Cooper about being in his oil and gas company. He said, well, I don't have a place for you, but I'm going to recommend you go to El Paso Natural Gas and, and learn to uh, be a landman. And again, I had to figure out what that was about. And it wound up that about the last, oh, it was around June 1st when I was supposed to start with El Paso. And he wound up calling me and said, I'd like to keep you here in Elk City, Oklahoma, and work for me. So I was thrilled because I was just about to get married that fall. 
And Ooh, so some extra money, yeah, huh? <laughs> extra money. Didn't have to travel. My wife would be right in town with me. We didn't have to worry about anything. It was pretty special. And so June 1st, 1977 was my first day in the oil and gas business. Long story short, but I thought the background was important to get to this point because it was mentors and support along the way that got me in the oil and gas business. That's so neat. That's so neat. You started basically off in politics. <laughs> well, yes, I learned so much. It was really wonderful. I attended Georgetown's in Georgetown University in the summertime. Uh-huh. And there was one, I was supposed to actually be an intern, a White House intern. And they did away with the program. My kind of luck, you know, the budget, oh, <laughs> budget, <no>. cuts, <laughs> budget cuts in 1976. And I was recommended by Pam Powell, who was running the White House internship, to attend the Institute on Political and Economic Systems at Georgetown University. And so I applied and I couldn't have gone without, they gave a full ride. I couldn't have gone without it and a stipend. And so I was able to attend that as well. So it was a win-win for these mentors that helped me along the way. I can't say enough about all the people that surround me through the years. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about this industry is everybody's oh, yes. family. No question. Absolutely. So let's talk about what GTD Group does. Yes, it stands for the Global Trade Development Corporation. After working for Cooper, I wound up getting involved with my own company called Moore Stansbury, a friend of mine, several years older than me. Eddie Moore was a partner. He and I stayed in business for about 10 years, mainly in the land management side of things. But about 19, I guess it would be about 1987 or so, the boom went to bust. It actually sometimes occurred, some say it occurred about 1982, but it really 86, 87 was the big boom to bust stage. And so I looked at it from the standpoint, what I do next, because it's really not much land management. I'd gotten into real estate development and the banking along the way through those 10 years. You need some backup. <laughs> but I needed some backup. You got it. And fast and furious when you have three, at that time, three, not only with my wife, but three kids by oh, that man. time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was on a roll. And so it wound up that I kind of, I call it follow the money. And there were acquisitions and mergers going on. And so I wound up getting in the acquisitions mergers business. I actually got to the point where I got with the gentleman, Michael McGinnis. He and I were working on a due diligence project in, in Dallas. And we decided to write a book on it, a handbook. I was going to say, that sounds familiar. That name sounds very familiar. Yes. He worked for Arco. I was independent. And we started, we wrote this book called The Acquisition Process, Due Diligence, Minimize Risk, Maximize Return. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it was 1991. And we wound up by 92 hitting the road. We were mainly doing speaking engagements and, and training folks to do work in the due diligence side of it. So acquisition mergers. But then it started, I got introduced years later and when I was 36, I was about 1992, about the same year, really, when after the speeches, I was encouraged to go to Russia and to be part of a delegation, oil and gas delegation. And there was 20 of us. And so this is the 30th anniversary, This actually this month. Oh, wow. Of, of that trip. Yes. And it was wonderful. I was a small guy of the group. We met with the Minister of Energy, which is equivalent to the Minister of Energy, and then the following year, I met with the Minister of Energy with the IPAA. There was about four of us that met with him on how to work with Russia. And so that launched me into what was now the GTD Group, the Global Trade Development Corporation, the GTD Group. And with that, got involved in other companies, other startups and different things like that through the years. But it always goes back to energy. Everything surrounds, well, nothing moves without energy. So, right. <laughs> so, so that's a big part of my life. And so the GTD Group, we had offices different places along the way. We had offices in D.C. at one point and 
Tulsa, Oklahoma City, and other locations. But it really is energy focused with uh, international trade. I did work in, in several countries in Russia and China, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Japan, and several other countries. And that started also dying out from the standpoint of we saw some things that were happening in the late 1990s, about 1999, where we were kind of pulling back on Russia and China, especially. Some new leaders were taking place and different ways to do business. And so we were a little bit discouraged that way. So I still have the GTD group and still, in fact, I've been active on the international front here in Oklahoma. I chaired the Governor's International Team in 2007. And now I'm at the age, I'm a life emeritus of that organization. So whoever's governor, I'm going to you know be part of that. So it's a great organization, but it goes back to GTD Group. Yes. That's excellent. That's great. I can't believe you remember the day you started handing out stickers. <laughs> well, I mean, you steel know, trap, steel's trap, Mark. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's such a neat experience. In fact, you know, I mentioned that I need to go back a little bit. The well was drilled by Robert Hefner the Third of GHK. I didn't mention Robert Hefner the Third, but he was very inspirational, and he was really the pioneer of natural gas, deep gas. And so we're talking about you know four or five miles deep and successful. And everyone said, no, he can't do that. There's no way he's going to be able to do that. And he did, proved it up. And it wound up years later that the first lease I ever bought for, you know, when I became a landman was for GHK. Wound up being the first lease. And then years later, I'm moving forward. I became partners, a door opens. I'm a big believer in when a door opens, look in, see what's you know, something's there possibly. The door may slam on you, but I look through the door, see what's there, see what opportunities. Well, I had a gentleman in about 2001 that approached me. I'd met him in about 1989, and he'd produced the Godfather movies, produced Godfather 1, all three, oh, actually. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, but won an Academy Award for Godfather 2, and then he produced Apocalypse Now, a lot of the Francis Ford Coppola movies. But anyway, I met with him, and he wound up saying about 2001, he said, you know, we ought to form a film production company. He moved back from Hollywood, being in Beverly Hills for 30 years, moved back to Oklahoma because he got married late in life. He said, I need a partner that knows the financial side. I said, I sure don't know the movie side. Right. (laughs) And he said, well, you should try it and be involved. His dad was in the oil gas business and his grandfather was one of the founders of ONG, Oklahoma Natural Gas. So I went home to Nancy trying to really hoping she would talk me out of it to even think about it. This was 2001. She said, you know what? He's a great guy. You ought to listen to him, see what he has to say. So I did. And I wound up becoming partners with him with the exception is that I said, I will be your partner, but I definitely want to be going to the Academy Awards in 2002 as your partner. And he said, no problem. We'll make that happen, which he did. Went down the red carpet, the whole works. That's so cool. It was wonderful. Keep this in mind while I'm saying all this. His roommate in college, which I didn't find out till about 10 years after I was a partner, was Robert Hefner III, who was the GHK company who drilled that deep well. Who oh, was no way. Yes. And it wound up that there was this book I came across, and this is how it was called The Grand Energy Transition by Robert Hefner III. <laughs> and so I presented to Gray, and that's how Gray said, that was my roommate. And so he said, I said, we need to make a documentary on this. We formed this company called Graymark. is easy, Gray and Mark, <laughs> Graymark Productions. <laughs> and we produced five featured films, and the company went on to receive an Emmy for one of the documentaries. But I said, this documentary on the Grand Energy Transition ought to occur. And he said, I love this idea, and I'll get a hold of Robert, which he did. 
And it took us about a year, year and a half to get it all put together. But we got support from Boone Pickens and Ted Turner nice. and Aubrey McClendon. It was wonderful. But it goes back to those, I call them the connections along the way, the dots. Follow the dots and the connections and the mentors and all those things. And that really launched the movie or the documentary and got good message across of where we're going from the natural gas side and hydrogen and so forth of the future. So That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. But it goes back to that introduction. Oh, so cool. So cool. So Mark, what's leadership to you? Leadership? I use the word lead to think about things along the way. With lead, I think of the L word being, or L letter that is, standing for for listen. I have a problem. I like to think that I do listen quite well, but I find that times I don't, <laughs> whether at home or some other location. But I really try to listen and to take that in first, you know, listen to others, listen to others and really take it in. And then of course the E would be execution. It's easy to say, I'm going to do things and act on it and all that, but doing and talking about or two different things. So I listen and then I try to execute on different things as well. And then the A is for analysis. So I try to analyze it, look at all the metrics, look at things and really study things out, get the right advisors around, make sure that it's put together well, because then it comes to the D letter, which is deliver. So I go lead or or those letters standing for lead are those words I just described. And it's very meaningful to me to be able to take those things and from leading to execution to analysis. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very helpful. Very helpful. And I really hope that helps the audience. I mean, I I don't think I've ever had anyone answer that question with an acronym. (laughs) And it's very easy to remember. Right. That's fantastic. What's the easiest part about being a leader and what's the hardest part about being a leader? The easiest is if you have the right people around you. If you have really done a gr- good job in as far as re- you know, recruitment of folks uh, and retention's a big deal. So if you can really recruit and have the retention and make sure that they have a place to, again, listen. <laughs> I have to listen to folks to make sure that happens and to have great communication. So I think the easiest part is making sure you have the right people around you. The toughest part is when economics change on you. You mm. think you have everything down, everything's going well, the budgets are in place. And, and then surprise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess inflation or <laughs> it, could be, it could be anything from the economic standpoint and other things, fa- other factors. It could be health. It could be other things that really stop. And that can, you can you know, have one of your key people that, has to stay away for several months for certain reasons. And so that's kind of the downside sometimes of leadership and being able to keep it going. It's not as easy as people think it is, but it's a tough go sometimes. Yeah, no, I 100% behind that for sure. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? Do your homework, be prepared by using the right facts and figures and things like that, but also have the right advisors. I like to think that I have all the answers sometimes. <laughs> that comes from experience as well. 45 years in the business, I finally figured out that I still need advisors and whether it's, you know, legal and I understand you're regulatory. If I need something regulatory or regulatory compliance, I need to go to Paige. <laughs> That's what I need to do. I'm a little outdated, but yeah. <laughs> but still, you know what I'm saying? We need, I can't really be an expert in all those areas. And right. I think sometimes I think that I don't need this. I don't need any help. And I do. You know, I definitely need advice along the way. So more advice, the better and getting the right 
key facts and figures in front of front of me as far as the homework's very important. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I mean, it seems that you've had mentors your entire career. No question. And yeah. I try to also mentor if I can. You know, it's just when I have the opportunity to give back that way, that's part of my life now is, you know, is the rest of my life. I want to make sure that others have opportunities. And so we all make that circle of life that way, trying to keep others plugged into society in a good way. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any books that have influenced you? Yes, there's one book in particular that was written actually in about 2010 it came out. And this book in particular was called The Malibu Miracle. And it's about a friend of mine wrote the book. He was president of Pepperdine University and president of the University of Oklahoma. He's actually the president of the University of Oklahoma that had the vision of Sarkey's Energy Center. And Sarkey's Energy Center is the tallest facility, largest facility on the University of Oklahoma campus. But he wrote this book about what he had done back in the late 60s. And he was the first president of the Malibu campus of Pepperdine in 1972, but he was he came in in 1971 as the president after he'd served under another president. But once he found the Malibu campus, the story of that is, when I say found, in the it's the rolling hills of Santa Monica Mountains. When you go down the highway past Malibu, it's, you look up, it's just rocks, a lot of rocks, and it's, it's not that beautiful. But Bill Badowski thought, I'm going to put the campus from downtown LA in Malibu, and we're going to put this beautiful campus and his vision on that mountain, on the hills. And it wound up that he did that. He wound up, he got voted down at first. All the board said, no, he took them out there and showed them the rocks and all that. He said, there's no way. We're not going to support that. And sure enough, they voted him down. He said, if I can come up with the money and the support, will you do it? They said, good luck. And so <laughs> he wound up raising the money, he had somebody contribute to the land, it happened to be that Ronald Reagan owned some adjacent land, and Ronald Reagan loved the idea. Huh. So it winds up, uh, he was very instrumental in uh, helping the Pepperdine University find a place at, on Malibu. And it wound up, it's now one of the most beautiful campuses in the world. And that's since the 70s. And so William S. Banowski wrote, I wrote a book called America Needs America's Energy creating together the People's Energy Plan, and he provided the forward for that. And I'll never forget that because it means so much to me because you know, the Malibu miracle, no one thought could happen and take the vision of rocks and turn it in. And if you look, I was on the School of Public Policy at Pepperdine for a while, and the first meeting I attended, they faced me toward, uh, and it's beautiful because it faced the ocean, right? The, yeah. the, boardroom, the boardroom. Well, the problem is they faced in this boardroom, they put me looking at the wall. And I got there early, so I wound up seeing where I was going to be, you know, seated. And so I wound up taking the nameplate and moving it to the other side so I could. <laughs> and so. That'll learn I, him. <laughs> yeah, I learned also when I got a dirty look uh, afterwards, you know, that the person across that had planned all this saw what I had done. But I got to see the ocean. And uh, being from Oklahoma, seeing the ocean's a better deal. So I had made sure that somebody that was facing the wall was from California. <laughs> <laughs> You get to see it all the time. Now it's my turn. (laughs) So, yeah, it was was fabulous. That's so awesome. (laughs) What's your most used business tool? Dashboards and metrics. Yeah, I use dashboards quite a bit in not only business, but I've been involved in nonprofits as well. I was on the college boards. I've been on different university boards and things like that. So I think the dashboard is necessary. In fact, I see it 
personally as well, having this dashboard to go by to measure my accomplishments, things that I need to be doing as far as the calendar, the scheduling, appointments, and measure, have a way of measuring things to see if I'm being successful or not and where I'm failing, how can I improve? And we've used this. There were six universities that I was part of a board that they were all separate when they had their own dashboards, in other words, but they were under one system. And so I suggested to one of the presidents, I think we need to implement a dashboard system that that really embraces all six. So we did that and had 27 metrics, you know, all the listings of what needs to be covered and so forth. And it wound up that in the long run, one of the first meetings when it was implemented had saved several million dollars in cost of the campuses because they were able to take, you know, whether it's using the same system of, say, let's say digital, something in the digital side of things, they were able to put all six universities together versus separate on several projects. And it wound up saving several million dollars. So I see dashboards and metrics to answer your question. Yes. Very good. Very good. Who is your most respected competitor, Mark? The next person I form an alliance with. (laughs) I I, I wound up, it seems like I have alliances with a lot of friends that are doing similar things, but we kind of bounce off each other. There's certain places that I don't fit and maybe they do or vice versa. And sometimes we both do. And then I guess that becomes competition, but sometimes I just walk away or they walk away because it's better for one or the other. But I find that it's friendly alliances that I look for and not really the competition. So it doesn't necessarily, I don't say it doesn't pertain, but it's something I don't think much about. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And a little healthy competition never hurt anyone, I don't think. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say is your most important lesson learned? I think the most important lesson learned is really learning from my mistakes. I can't just say one. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a whole laundry list that I won't share, but and it kind of goes back to certain things you you asked me about. You know, when it comes to you know leadership, you know, did I listen? Sometimes I didn't, and that caused me to not look at things correctly. Did I really execute properly, or did I look at those metrics and really learn from those measurements of scheduling properly, appointments, of content, looking at contracts, all these different things? So I would say that what I've I've learned from is really uh, mistakes and gain from those, see what I did wrong, how can I do better and, and improve. I'm still learning, by the way. I said I was been, I've been- I don't think we ever years. stop learning. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the industry? Yes. Right now, I'm focused on corporate strategy and advisor, energy advisor. One company in particular that I'm working with, and I have several that I associate with, but as a strategic partner is with a company called Align Energy Resources. They're based in Dallas and in Oklahoma City, and they're looking at how to align companies when it comes to talent, industry, as far as the leadership. It's an interesting challenge for me, too, to make sure that meets what they're trying to accomplish, but also... I'd been giving talks for several years now on the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And that kind of applies because you need to coordinate the ideas, the concepts with the board and let the board make the final decision, but let them have all the materials possible to make good decisions. And that's kind of an alignment, similar to what they're trying to do. Hence the name, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Very clever. You have a favorite podcast? I'm talking to it. Oh, <laughs> you're making me blush. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm telling you, let me say this. 
this podcast, as well as your oil and gas this week with Mark LaCour, made a huge difference in my life, especially during the last two and a half years. I reached out and listened every time it came on. I've not missed any because it was very inspiring and it kept a positive outlook when things weren't so positive. And so you and Mark have lifted at least me and I know many that I've talked to. I, have, I, I go around the state and other places and they'll, I'll mention podcasts and they'll always mention you, uh, Paige and Mark and the attitude you both have in <laughs> embracing others. I mean, really, it's, it's great. You embrace others, you lift people up and you kept us going. And thank you for that. Oh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> well, you know, I have about 15, 20 podcasts I listen to a week. I've turned to podcasts mainly. I love podcasts. Because they've got so much material and concise in yeah, facts. And they're easy to devour. I love it. I love it. So and but yours two are the your two podcasters at the top. Gosh, that means so much. Thank you so much, Mark. That's yes. so amazing. And you've been a delightful guest. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> so if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about your company, how can they go about doing so? Yes, go to markstansbury.com, www.markstansbury.com. That's S-T-A-N-S-B-E-R-R-Y, M-E-R-K, S-T-A-N-S-B-E-R-R-Y.com. And that gives a a background and things that we're pursuing as well. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. I do want to mention one thing, if Uh I might. Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. Plug away. Plug away. Well, I guess it is a plug. (laughs) Yeah. I have a book coming out called American Needs, America's Energy and Its Natural Resources, it's a monograph to the book, American Needs, America's Energy, that I published in 2012. This comes out in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. And then I have a film coming out, docu- docu-film, with, I mentioned Gray Fredrickson, the producer. He and I put together a film called Shored Forest, and it will be coming out also some, hopefully in the next two or three weeks as well. They're working on, as far as the colorization and the music, as far as that goes, the acting's done. We have Barry Corbin, who has been in over 200 films. He's the narrator of that did a great job it's about sherwood force is about 1940s especially about 1943 there was a mm. need for drilling in sherwood force for oil the british had only about 150 barrels of oil per day coming in production and it wound up that they reached out to america and for americans as far as technology and so the roughnecks were sent over 40 roughnecks were sent from oklahoma under a secret mission to go and Drill wells, and they drilled oh, so uh, neat. Drilled enough wells to up to three thousand barrels of oil. Some of that was used for D Day. They lived in a monastery. It was top secret for years. It was a wonderful effort. So anyway, we, British Petroleum has provided us archives. There are archives that were live footage from that time, actually at, at Sherwood Forest. And so we're incorporating that, and it's going to be a great film as well. And then I have as Oil Man Magazine and Energies Magazine. And then Oil Woman Magazine, I've been a contributor to all three, but I'm a a contributing editor for Oil Man Magazine and have an article that comes out each time. So that's the plug. I got three plugs. Man, you're just giving your marketing team a run for their money. (laughs) I think I am the marketing team. That's that's great. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.